today on the Tearsheet Podcast. It's an amazing time to be thinking about technology and community banks because of the COVID phenomenon. So if you back up six months ago, anybody in the technology space would have argued that community banks have fallen so hopelessly behind on technology relative to the fintechs and the large banks. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. We don't talk enough about community banks on the podcast. Coming into the COVID crisis, community banks lagged large banks and fintechs in technology. But when you look at what's happened over the past six months, community banks committed acts of heroism to serve their customers during the height of the crisis. Raymond Chandonet, Chief Revenue Officer at Neocova, joins us on the podcast to talk about the window of opportunity community banks have to compete. He describes the role technology plays in driving innovation for community banks and how smaller FIs are migrating to new core banking tech slowly and as part of a larger journey. Raymond Chandonet is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. What could you do with better real-time consumer data? All data aggregation from Fiserv enables access to consumer permission data from over 18,000 sources. Lenders, advisors, fintech firms, and financial institutions can turn this data into actionable insight for their customers. Go to fiserv.com slash data to learn more. My name is Ray Chandonet. I am Chief Revenue Officer with Neocova, which means that I am responsible for driving all of our customer-facing business activities with the community banks and credit unions that are our primary target market. So, so before we jump into Neocova and, and the community banking space, um, I do want to hear a little bit more about your background. I know you've been in the space for a long time, and I think that'll, that'll, um, that'll shed light on sort of the rest of our conversation. I, I have been in the space for a long time. I've been in the community banking world for north of 30 years now. I would describe my career sort of as a circle. Um, I started my career as a computer scientist, interestingly enough, working for a community bank in the late 80s, um, teaching people how to use PCs and designing sort of enterprise-level software to help automate uh, and digitize certain processes that went on at the bank. So we're talking about things like digitizing the bank safe deposit box rental operations, mm. uh, creating the first um, CRA uh, I'm sorry, not CRA, BSA, AML automation processes when mm-hmm. uh, anti-money laundering regulations were first coming out, et cetera. I migrated from there to bank financial management and spent the latter part of 20 years or so as a bank balance sheet strategist for a number of different investment banking firms. Mm-hmm. About six years ago, I left that world and circled back to the technology space because I came to the conclusion that as a bank strategist, the balance sheet issues that I was used to solving were not the most pressing challenges that my banking clients were facing. Their pressing challenges were predominantly technology focused. And so I circled back uh, into the technology world, ran my own business for a while, connecting smaller financial institutions with fintechs. And that led me ultimately to my role here at Neocova. Amazing. So, so let's, can you talk to me a little bit more about what those technology needs are um, at the community bank level? 
Sure. You know, it's, um, it's an amazing time to be thinking about technology and community banks because of the COVID phenomenon. So if you back up six months ago, anybody in the technology space would have argued that community banks have fallen so hopelessly behind on technology relative to the fintechs and the large banks who have much more agile, much more interactive, much more proactive technology stacks that both reduce their cost of delivery, improve customer experience, et cetera, and that the small banks and credit unions had fallen so far behind that they were obsolete. And you could make an argument for that when you look at the amount of consolidation there's been in the bank space, which has hit the community banks the hardest. But interestingly, when you look at what has happened in the last six months, the technology impact for community banks um, has been a bit of a double-edged sword, if you will. On the one hand, the fact that the community bank's technology is outdated and has left them lacking in agility to keep up with the larger competitors is still there and was exacerbated by covid when these banks had to close down all their physical branches and focus entirely on digital delivery to their customer bases. On the other hand, I would be remiss if I didn't provide a major shout out to the community bank space because the efforts that the community banks made to roll out the payroll protection program loans was heroic far outpaced what their larger bank competitors did despite those technology challenges and it really enforced what the value proposition is for community banking in the United States. So we're really at a nexus in terms of if we can solve this sort of outdated technology uh, problem, the value proposition having been re-validated um, creates a tremendous opportunity for these community banks. It's sort of a pivot point, if you will. But we've got to solve the technology piece. And now, a word from our sponsor. At Tearsheet's day-to-day -day conference, Fiserv's Paul Diegelman drilled down into the future of personal financial management. Paul, you're talking about PFM 2.0. It's actually two separate and distinct applications. Liquidity is a huge problem right now. Just People just don't have time to do things twice. Basically, most parts of the country shut down for COVID. Our PFM user growth was over 20% in the first two weeks alone. Underrated, 100%. How could we use AI to impact PFM? I'm up for anything that helps people. And to help people, you need an economic model. To access the full video from Paul's talk, Go to tearsheet.co slash speed of life. So, so that makes a lot of sense. So, so was the community bank heroism around the PPP program, was that just heavy lifting? Was, was most of that solved through just sheer um, human power? It, it was. I'll give you a couple of, uh, a couple of statistics and anecdotes here. So uh, especially in round one of the PPP program, Roughly two-thirds of the PPP loans made in the United States were made by community banks, even though they represent somewhere around 40% of the total assets of the banking system. Okay? That's heroic. Right? If you look at the study that I believe it was the ICBA put out, they were able to demonstrate that pretty much anywhere in the country, the more, um, the, the more community banks that were operating in that marketplace, 
the greater the percentage of payroll in that community was covered by PPP loans. That's community banking. And yet, to your question, the community banks did it by literally pulling people from every department of the bank mm. and allocating them running literally 24-hour uh, cycles or shifts, if you will, handling the applications because it was a very manual process from the front end of gathering applications uh, to the middle of underwriting them and getting them approved by the SBA to the back end of booking them into the loan systems. It's incredibly manual. Compare that to the large banks who within 24 hours, the ones who wanted to play in the PPP space, had spun out client-facing application portals, had figured out a way to aggregate applications and submit them in batch mode to the SBA thousands at a time. And as they were approved, were automatically booked into their backend system. That's the, the technology disadvantage. And yet, if you look at the top 20 PPP lenders in the country, mm -hmm. I believe at least six of them were community banks. Interesting. Well, so, so, Let's drill down on that. So, so what is the technology challenge for community banks? Is it a matter of, of resources, talent, um, budget? Can you, I guess, talk about some of the dynamics that they're facing? Scale certainly matters, right? The larger the bank, the more assets, both financial and human, you have to allocate to the technology challenge. But when you look at the community bank and credit union space, it's not just a scale issue, right? It's the fact that the underlying technology that they all rely on is antiquated, right? This is technology that was state-of-the-art in the 1990s. Um, and working, and it's, it's incredibly risky to uproot these core banking systems, because if a core conversion fails, mm. it could literally be an existential risk to the bank. And so they continue to rely on these really antiquated pieces of technology that work well enough in a status quo, but fail spectacularly when it comes to being agile being able to roll out new products, enter new businesses, respond to crises, respond to changes in regulation. These technology stacks all have to be customized, which is a big distinction between being configured the way modern technology is. Mm -hmm. And so the, the banks simply cannot turn around new technology on a timely enough basis. I'll give you one interesting example away from the PPP program, and that is Zelle, right? When the Zelle network was rolled out by the larger banks, it very quickly overtook Venmo as the primary P2P payment network that banks used. If mm -hmm. you were a small financial institution today working with these legacy core technology platforms, the time frame to deliver Zelle is still measured in months, if not a year to a year and a half. Wow, and that's, that's really, because, and yeah. 
right? And that's because the it's it's not because the banks don't want to deliver Zelle to the, to their customers. It's not because they don't have a qualified CTO on staff to make it happen. It's that the limitations of their legacy technology mean that a Zelle implementation has to be customized. These so are the, the kinds of challenges that Neocova is striving to improve on. So, so let's hear how, how, how you believe Neocova improves on those. So we improve on that because we are a, in fact, I, we are the first cloud-based, fully open architecture, API-driven banking technology platform that's built specifically and solely to support community banks and credit unions. We're focused on breaking that, that cycle of delayed access to new products by putting actionable data, by putting tools and AI and machine learning tools in place that help these community banks automate their internal processes, particularly some of their regulatory processes, and enable them to, in a far less risky way, take on a technology transformation journey that slowly reduces their reliance on this legacy technology and leads them to a place where, at the end of that journey, they have a modern, agile technology stack. Got it. So, so specifically, how do you help them lower the, the, that risk component that you were describing now and before? That's a great question. Um, I, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of data to back that up, too. Mm-hmm. Right? Core conversion is viewed as so risky that even though the weaknesses of these legacy systems are well known, I, uh, I think a recent survey said that only 20-ish percent of banks in the United States said they were even modestly satisfied with their current technology mm-hmm. provider. And yet every year, I believe only 3% of expiring core banking contracts end up with the bank choosing a different vendor. Okay? That's an incredible dissonance that speaks to how risky that conversion um, is to these banks. The approach with Neocova is our technology stack helps these small and mid-sized banks mimic what the large banks have done with their technology transformation. The large banks didn't start with their core. And in fact, in most cases, they still haven't done a core conversion, right? They take a step-by-step process that involves getting control of their data, unifying that data onto a platform, using that data to drive better insights into their customers, to speed the time that it takes to make decisions on loans, uh, to speed their ability to recommend the next best product to their customers, et cetera. Then they put in middleware that allows them to systematically test and migrate customer-facing functions from their legacy technology to new modern technology. And so it is very much a migration process. It's not a conversion process. The Neocovit the Neocova technology stack and the way we roll it out to our customers in this sort of multi-year digital transformation process follows that journey 
Exactly. So we're able to deliver immediate value around customer insights, analytics, process automation, et cetera, and slowly but surely reduce the bank's reliance on their legacy te technology um, so that ultimately at the end of that process, the banking core is in fact just the core. It's just the statement of record. It's not this sort of, you know, be all and end all block of different technologies all connected together that are terrifying to try to unravel. Yeah, I really like that description you use about the, you know, the sort of the journey that the, these banks are on. So, so does Nia, does Nia, is Nia role, do you view it also as, is there an educational component there in a way that you're helping them plot that journey? Not just through technology, but I guess through your experience? I think there is. That's a great way of describing it. You know, we're not a technology consultant. There are plenty of, of, of outstanding consultancies out there that can help provide some, some assistance in navigating that journey. Um, but we certainly, through the, the sequencing of our product delivery and the way we integrate it into these smaller banks, is very much educational in nature. For the large banks, they know what agility means. They know what machine learning and artificial intelligence can do to drive decisioning, to automate processes. For the smaller banks, when you use terms like agility, when you use terms like machine learning, they don't even know what they mean in some cases. These are buzzwords. And as we introduce these banks to our product implementation journey as part of that discussion, we're educating them on what is the value of unifying all of your customer account and transaction level onto one data platform. What can you do with that? What are the benefits of doing that? How do you sandbox a new piece of technology so that you're not ripping out a client-facing piece of technology and creating franchise risk? Etc. A lot of for a lot of these banks, these are new concepts, and and it's important for them to uh, and and important for us as a partner to them that we break that inertia around the expectation that for me to modernize, I need to rip out my core, and that's too scary, and therefore nothing ends up happening. That makes sense. So, so I want to shift, I guess, attention away from the, the institutional side and to um, community banks customers. H how is COVID impacting customer demand for, for products, services, interaction, advice? For the community banks, their primary delivery mechanism has historically been in-person engagement with their customers, which meant within the context of branches. Mm -hmm. To a lesser extent, perhaps call centers for the sort of large community banks, small regional banks. But for the true community banks, it's face-to-face -face engagement. And that engagement has mostly been transactional. That's probably the biggest difference between the way the community banks approach their customer relationships, particularly on, te on the technology front, than the larger banks. When COVID hit and the, the banks needed to physically shut down their branch networks, it accelerated. I've seen people argue that it accelerated by as much as five years. The migration of transactional activity, we're talking about de 
deposits. We're talking about cashing checks. We're talking about sending out wires, et cetera. Really accelerated the migration of that activity to digital channels, right? You don't, there's been a long held view with community banks because their customer base skews older, that somehow older Americans don't want or need to engage with their bank digitally. They prefer the in-person engagement. That may or may not be true. I would argue that that's not necessarily the case, but COVID made that whole argument moot. At this point, it doesn't matter how much your customer has an aversion to using your technology, they're required to use it. And so for these small banks, if their technology stack is incomplete, or there isn't integration among their different customer-facing pieces of technology, online, mobile, bill pay, uh, mobile deposit uh, capture, et cetera, it, it leads to frustration on the part of customers who are now being forced into engaging with their banks digitally. Got it. That, that makes a lot of sense. And we have time for one last question. I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, from Nikova's perspective, like, what are community banks like we, you know, we had the initial six, seven months of chaos. Um, I know there's still a lot of uncertainty in the market, but like wh where are we headed from here? What were community banks like biggest priorities from here on out? So I would say that the two biggest priorities that the community banks have are credit related which is not a technology problem um, per se, but COVID has certainly created uh, uh, lots of credit issues, lots of loan loss provisions that have, that have been taken, lots of loan deferrals that the community banks are only between now and the end of 2020 gonna figure out how many of those deferrals will turn into problem credit. So mm -hmm. they're very focused on credit and they are very, very focused on technology for reasons we just we just stated that you know the covid environment has has forced a reckoning around technology and when you look at the neocova story you get to see um, just how important that technology transformation is you know when you look at one of the things that's unique about about us as a vendor in the space is we are at this point entirely funded by community banks and community bankers. You don't normally think about community banks as venture capital investors, <laughs> and yet all of, our, uh, all of our outside capital was provided by community banks and bankers. It tells you how focused they are on being able to modernize their technology, that some of them were literally willing to invest in technology players who are trying to support them in that journey. That's a very powerful point. Ray, thank you for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Thank you, Zach. I enjoyed the time.